0: But we weren't live. No, I just we just went live. Okay. Well, hey, thank you for being here. We are in chapter uh, 15 of Brace for Impact. We've got two chapters left. Uh, this is uh, an example uh, in this chapter. We're we talking about Jeremiah. Of course, Jeremiah was a, a, a man of God, a, a hero of the faith. He spent 40 years in ministry. Uh, lived through some of the hardest times of Jerusalem's history, Israel's history. Uh, and remain faithful. But as we look at this, he does have times, like everyone in the Bible does, uh, of of fainting, of of falling back, of having confusion or doubt, or not fully understanding God's plan because we we can't fully understand what God is doing because it's beyond our our understanding. Uh, And so in this is interesting because God is going to encourage him we started talking early in the book about staying in that the, the place of faith rest, of having knowledge, of having information, and having that be your fortress of where you live. And, and the things that swirl around you, uh, it may be a, a, an attack of something, of an ideology, or it may be some attack just from the, the culture or whatever, but it's like uh, you understand what the truth is, you understand what the end result is, so you can fortify yourself and continue. Even in difficult times, it's like, In our lives as Christians, it is always going to end up better than it is. Now, it may get very confusing. It may get worse than it is before it gets better. But we are going to end up winning. I mean, it's like playing a a long game. And it's like, my gosh, we're getting way behind. We're never going to catch up. It's like, no, I've read the end of the book. I saw the video. I've already watched the game. We we win in the end. And so that's one thing. Of course, we, we know that. And that doesn't mean it makes it any less painful or any less uh, scary, but it does, in a sense, give you that confidence that this looks bad now or I don't understand this, but in the end, we're coming out on on top. And Jeremiah, he knows these things, but he's going to get caught in the situation. Now, here's the situation we've got, and I'll go through some of the the verses in the Bible and, and go through the notes here. As you know, when Josiah became king... His grandfather Manasseh was a very poor king. His father Amos was a, a bad king. But his grandfather was taken into captivity by the Assyrians to the city of Babylon and then came back for the last five or six years of his reign. He spent two years in prison. He he repented in, in prison after he saw that and came back and began to build the walls of Jerusalem. Up. It talked about him building up the f- towers and the walls. And he started to try and bring some kind of revival, Manasseh, the worst. It reigned for 55 years and was... Probably the, the, the worst king, the most evil king Judah had. At least he's in the top three or four. But he came back the last five or six years and tried to recover the, the, the nation. Uh, but they're too far gone. There, there's no bringing them back, although he tried. He may have had, it doesn't say directly in Scripture, he may have had an impact on his grandson, Josiah, who was six years old when his grandfather died. And then his father, Amos, became king, and then he didn't last long. And uh, Josiah became king as like an eight-year-old boy. And, of course, he had a priest helping him out and leadership helping him out. And each phase, he began to seek the Lord. Uh, By the time he was 16, by the time he's 20, him and Jeremiah are basically the same age. He began to seek the Lord. And then during this time, they find, Now understand, they find in 623... They find the book of Deuteronomy in the temple because what Jeremiah, Josiah does is he says, we need to restore the temple. In Manasseh's time, they brought an Asherah pole or a Sheerah pole into the temple. Uh, it, it's possible they moved the Ark of the Covenant out of the way. Uh, you know That's, that's something we need to discuss if that took place or not. But they definitely turned the temple into a pagan shrine. And it wasn't like they locked, here's the thing, they didn't take all the priests and put them in prison, all the you know the, the sons of Aaron and put them in prison and then bring in a bunch of pagan priests, the sons of Aaron, the priests of Israel, just became very pagan. Uh, they're the ones making these grievous mistakes and they're the ones, watch, they're the ones that lost the book of Deuteronomy or set it aside not so much like all the copies wore out because they're using it they just moved it aside no one cared about it and they brought in all these other religious artifacts all this other teaching all these other false ideologies and that's what was taking place in the temple manasseh let it happen he encouraged it uh when josiah was seeking the lord he decided we're going to come in here we're going to clean the temple up so they took some took some money and they gave it to the the one of the priests that he trusts and they began to just scour the temple just take all the stuff out that was not supposed to be there we could go through the story and began to repair the temple and why and again they're doing a lot of this by memory meaning it's it's kind of like it's kind of like having church services without bible teaching we're christians we go to church what do you do well when i was a child what i remember what we do at church is is like do you have a bible no but we're going to be christians well, you understand, you've got a lot of gaps to fill in. You've got a lot of questions, and you know what's your standard? Well, that's what they're doing. They're running on memory, and while they're in there, I mean, you got to understand this. They find the Book of Deuteronomy. They find they whoa, what is this? It's a covenant with Yahweh, the God that we're restoring the temple for. It, it's His words through Moses, and they come from 1405. These, this is now the written word of God. In 623, it was written down. So it'd be like us reading our Bibles. I mean, it's like, forget, forget Jeremiah being a prophet and having God speak to him and having a word for his generation. They found the written word of God. They found the book of Deuteronomy. And they bring it to Josiah, who has it read, and he he's going to end up reading through it, and finds out, oh my gosh, we are in so much, because we've done everything that God said he would punish us for, we have been doing it for a couple generations, and we're just cleaning up the mess. And uh, I mean, and, and he, there, it's not like, well, I told you so. You know, it's like we're standing here with a Bible, saying this is what we should be doing. They didn't even. It's like, oh my gosh, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're we're so far. And he took it serious. A couple of the priests took it serious. And at that time, Jeremiah comes on. He's called, you can begin the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah call, or God calls Jeremiah. You can read the beginning of the book, and Jeremiah joins with him. And in 6.23, they find it, and in 6.22, they make it public. And that's where we're going to be here in Jeremiah chapter 11. They read it to, because at first, they didn't just like, you know, put it on social media. They had it, and they had it there in the palace. They had some priests. They had some scribes reading it. Then they went and talked to Huldah. They're kind of like, the the leadership is kind of like, oh, my gosh, what? They realize they've got a covenant with God that they've completely violated, and they are taking it serious. In 7.22, they read it to all the people. Now understand, the problem in this story is the priest, the religious leaders. They are the elite. Uh, they, again, they haven't been taken out and put in prison somewhere. They haven't been persecuted. They have, watch this, they have neglected to the point that they have lost the book of Deuteronomy. It's not like they had one copy and then, well, where did it go? It's they just they, the king was every king was supposed to make a copy of it. He's supposed to make a hand copy of it himself. Moses tells, him, when you have a king, the king is supposed to write it out. So he's written out the book of Deuteronomy. So he knows he's wrote. He's got his own copy, and so it, it was supposed to be copied. It was supposed to be available to the people. It was supposed to be taught by the Levites. The Levites were the sons uh, of Aaron or sons of Levi that what doesn't come through Aaron, but they were to cont- continue to teach the written word of God to the people so they would understand the law. They weren't doing their job. They neglected this, so this was gone. But what is amazing, this is just kind of an interesting insight, what what they still had, they still had the priest. Now the priest no longer had the word of God. The priest no longer had a commitment to it uh, of what God had told them to do. But what they did maintain was they maintained their position. They were still priests. They still received the offerings. They still managed the temple. Now they may be brought in pagan shrines, but it was a very lucrative business. They did not forget their career. Now they weren't doing. They the, they were not doing their job. They were not teaching the Book of Deuteronomy. They were not holding the people to law. Because they didn't have the law. And they didn't have the law because they neglected the law. But amazingly, they still had their position of power, their position of resources, and their influence on the people. And Jeremiah himself is a priest. He's from the family of priests. He lives in the city of Anathoth, which if you look at this picture right here, you're, looking, you're on the Mount of Olives looking west at the Temple Mount uh anathoth is right here two miles just up northeast right here in fact if you turn on the mount of olives here and you'd look up here you're look if you could see it it's right there it's high enough that you can see from anathoth you can see down into the temple courts that's that's anathoth that is a priestly town and that's where jeremiah is from his father was a priest his uncles were priests his family was they were in the priestly business Now, Jeremiah comes alongside of, of Josiah, and he begins to say, we need to follow this word. Again, I emphasize, the priest had a business. It was the family business. In fact, what they had also, as we go through this, they had also expanded. Like anybody who wants to increase their business, they want a franchise, they had. And you can read in the book of Jeremiah, they had expanded out to every street corner. They were called high places. They would have not just the altar and the temple. Now, again, we understand a little bit from what we understand the the law of Moses. There's going to be a place in Jerusalem. There's going to be the temple. The priests were all, everything was going to be structured around the priestly system. So everyone stayed on track. So everyone's doctrine stayed accurate. The temple was that place of meeting. But once they lost the word of God, once they brought in all the pagan shrines and all the other things that came along with it and the ideologies and the teaching and the rituals and the different priests and the priestesses and all the activities, it allowed them to expand. So it wasn't like a bunch of pagans came into Jerusalem or Judea, locked the priest up and took over and started building shrines. It was the priest, the leadership, that lost the word of God, began to bring in pagan practices to accommodate the culture as it declined, which allowed them to expand the business out onto the street corners and build altars, and you've got this jurisdiction, you've got that jurisdiction, and Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah, they've got high places on every street corner. Now, that's wrong because you're only supposed to go to Mount Moriah on the Temple Mount, and it's supposed to be structured so no one deviates from the truth. Well, they're completely off track. So these priests are the elite. They have the control. They have the money. And they are still, although they are not teaching the word of God or offering the correct sacrifice, they're teaching the correct doctrine, they are still leading the people in religious matters, still making money. They've still got the power. They still can oppress people that come against them because, hey, we're in charge. And these are the priests that Jeremiah is going to deal with. So, when Josiah reads the law, it's like, okay, we've got to make some changes. We've got to clean the temple up. We've got to stop this. And these high places have to come. This is not right. Now, you understand, if you're a God-fearing person, it's like, yes, let's get back on track. But if it's your business and you have no interest in changing, you're going to begin to oppose Josiah. And then Jeremiah is called by God to be a prophet, to speak directly to the people about these issues. And Jeremiah's main word to the people was, pay attention to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to see, pay attention to this. You're under a curse because you're not, that's his main message. But when Josiah and Jeremiah, can you, all the little scribbling I've got on here, who is going to oppose Josiah, and particularly the priest, Jeremiah? the priesthood, because it's like, this is not what we, we're going to tear down all of our expansion. We're going to start changing all of this. It's like, this is not at all what we're going to do. And that leads us into Jeremiah chapter 11. Now, this is in the year 622. The law was found, uh, you know, right around 623. The the leadership had been reading it and getting prepared. In 622, Josiah is going to read it. Uh, in fact, you hold your place right there. I, I, I'm going to show you the verse here yeah uh, on the bottom page 149 of the book they were to read aloud to the people in 622 and the priests were instructed to obey them and here's the verse out of uh, second kings 23 verses 1 and 2 then the king josiah sent and all the elders of judah and jerusalem were gathered to him so everyone came to hear the king and the king went up to the house of the Lord, there on the temple mount, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he, Josiah, read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. This is not going to church on Sunday and hearing someone read John three sixteen to you again. It's like going to church for the first time and hearing uh, something read out of the Bible or, or having a Bible read and you didn't even know there was a Bible. It's like, now you, and I, again, you know there are churches out there that are conducted. If someone came in there, and I, I've walked into them before with my Bible. and so said, open your Bibles, and, and everyone just stares at me. It's like, oh, you guys don't use a Bible. No, we're Christians. We just do Christian stuff. And, and so that's where they were at. So when they read this law of the Deuteronomy, it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what we've been telling the kids. It's like every time It's like I've never heard this. Remember, they've gone come off of a 55 year reign of Manasseh. So first of all, take your. I'm 62. So go back to say 1965, and no one has been allowed to read the Bible since 1965. But that. Then you've got to add the years of uh, Josiah's father, which is a couple of years, and then you've got to add the first 10 years of Josiah's reign as he's growing up. So you're talking about a 70-year period where, where they were not it's not like they began the decline. When Manasseh came in, he went full denial, and they, they'd been building up to it. So we could easily say, this has gone on for a hundred years, the decline. And imagine if everybody from 70 years old and younger had never heard the bible but they were still going to church in america and then someone brings out a bible and begins to read the text of scripture to them how how they'd be like what is this and some people may respond but the leadership that's operating this entire thing that's let this thing decline for 70 years and are still making money are going to be like we don't need none of this we there's no there's no everything is fine the way it is Well, Josiah, or or, yeah, the king, he says, And Josiah read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. 2 Kings 23, the next verse says, And the king commanded all the people. The king commanded all the people. Keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. We're going to do the Passover, and we're going to do it the right way. And you're going to do it. You're all going to show up and do it the right way. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods. So this is all those that are polluting the culture, uh, all the false gods. Again, they're called mediums. That would be some kind of a spiritual communication with the The underworld, that would be those who communicate with demons. Necromancers, those who communicate with with dead people, which you don't communicate with dead people. You communicate with demons or fallen spirits that are imitating dead people. Again, those are two forms of communication, spiritual activity with the underworld in rebellion towards God and His Word and all the household gods. These household gods were not held by pagans; they were held by the people of God in their homes. That they would they were allowed to worship because on the, their altars on the street corners or in their backyard. And a lot of these people were going to be priests. It's not like the priest going. We've been saying this for years. Thank God, Josiah is here because us priests we come up here every Sabbath and try to do the sacrifices, and no one shows up. No, that's not that's not at all. There's not a, a group rallying behind him. Even the priests are the ones that got the household gods. The priests, I would guess, the priests are probably, it doesn't say this explicitly, but they're messing with the underworld because that's the gods there. Remember, someone brought in an Asherah pole into the temple where they would worship Asher, which is Baal's wife. And of course, Baal was being worshipped. And this was, who's allowing this? The priests of Aaron are doing this. Uh He says, put the necromancy, the mediums, the household gods, and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. So what he has found is like, what is this? This is the book of Deuteronomy. This is what you have in your lap right now. You have a Bible. They found the Bible. He says, we're going to now read this Bible and you're going to do it. And that's 623, they found it. 622, this is what he's saying to the people. He says, we're going to do this. Okay, so Josiah comes alongside of him. I'm looking here to see if I've got anything else I want to say on those notes. Um, and uh, let's do the time scale here very quickly. One more thing, and then I'm going to read chapter 11 to you. Uh, because this, there's many things that we can draw out of this, and that's the ideal here is we need to have faith rest in our souls so that when confusion comes we know the truth and we can have that fortress of protection we're still going to face difficult times but we can stay confident and because we have knowledge in our souls we can continue in faith which means we can stay relaxed in our mental attitudes but we can also stay obedient Even in the face of opposition from the world, we can stay obedient. We don't need to worry about compromising. We realize we may be persecuted, but we're doing the right thing. We're holding on to the absolute truth. This is 622. Now watch this. There's going to be a series of years are going to go by. You know all this. In 605, that is when Daniel is taken captive. That's when Nebuchadnezzar brings the final death blow to the Assyrian Empire he has to return back home because his father, Nabodidus, had died and he becomes king in 605. And that's when the first captivity takes place uh, and he puts, uh, takes the Egyptian king that they'd put in place, uh, the son of Josiah, and replaces him. In 597, uh, Jehoiakim has rebelled, that would be the second son of Josiah, has rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and he comes and attacks the city and takes the second captivity, that would be include Ezekiel, a priest, and, and many of the, the, really, the upper class, the working class, not the upper class, but the working class, so they can work for him back in Babylon. And they have a huge tribute and puts the, the third son on the throne, uh, Zedekiah, who's going to be the king for the last 10 years. And then in 586, Zedekiah has had the great idea to rebel against Babylon, and we'll just join with the Egyptians, and we'll just overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. Uh Jeremiah is here in 622 with Josiah saying follow this. He's there in 605 and Daniel would have heard him teach and is watching this. He's there in 597 talking to Jehoiakim who's rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar saying don't do it. You're you're not even going to make it. You're going to die you're not he tells him you won't even have a funeral. They're going to throw your body over the walls and you'll be thrown out with the donkeys and eaten by animals. And that's exactly what happened. And then here comes the third son of Josiah, Zedekiah, who calls him a couple times and asks him questions and always rebels against Jeremiah and Jeremiah sees all this. He ends up in during this time he ends up in stocks, publicly exposed on the Temple Mount by the priest. The priest will put him in stocks. So he's, got, he's locked up. So when people come up through the gates, there's Jeremiah the prophet who prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 7, this temple is not going to protect you. You can't just say, well, we've got this temple. Your, God is going to come and destroy this temple because you have rebelled. And they like, say, you can't say that. They put him in stock. Everybody mocked him and made fun of him and spit on him as they came. By Zedekiah's time, they put him in prison. They're going to put him in a, in a, a, a well they're going to drop him down into a muddy well where he's sinking, where if someone hadn't rescued him, he would have just sunk down into the mud and disappeared into the earth. That's recorded there. And then in 586, the the final uh, deportation, they burned the temple down in 586. So we're starting to just get this number, 622. We're going to go all the way to 586. 586. Uh, I got the year 36. I, you'd figure that out right there, 586 to 622. That's how long Jeremiah's ministry is going to go. And we know it doesn't end there because he gets released by Nebuzaradan, Aden, the general of Nebuchadnezzar, and says, where do you want to go? He says, you can stay here, or I'd, I'd suggest you come with us back to Babylon, and you can be a guest in the palace. That's where Dan, Dan, Daniel lives there, Ezekiel's there. You can come. If they weren't going to oppress him. They would take care of him. Uh, he decides to stay and then the people that rebelled against him and nebuchadnezzar the first time they take him down to egypt where we lose track of him and they're there in time for nebuchadnezzar's invasion of egypt where they're overrun again and so we'll just say 584 or something like this right here uh, that's how long he's going to go and it never went well it never it never went well no one ever came to jeremiah and says you know what I really appreciate what you're doing here for the city. It's like you've got everybody back on track. It's like nobody. Uh, so that's where he's at. And now we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the year 622, okay? Because that's where chapter 11 begins. So everything God is saying, you know what's going to take place here. Everything God says to Jeremiah is being said right here. And everything Jeremiah is complaining about is taking place in 622. Because Jeremiah has basically stepped up and said, as a priest, we need to follow the law of Moses. We need to do what it says in the... And he's not even a prophet. I mean, he is a prophet, but he's not even prophesying. He's just saying, we need to do this. All right, here we go. Chapter 11, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Listen to the terms of this covenant and tell them to the people of Judah and to those who live in Jerusalem. What terms of the covenant? The terms that He says, Tell this to, Jeremiah, I've got a prophetic message to you. And you know what it just says? Tell these people to read the Bible. I mean, that's what it says. What, what, terms of what covenant? It's been around since 1405. Okay, It's like, you talk about, well, this is old. In Jeremiah's day, when God says, tell these people, pay attention to the law, the covenant. What covenant? Well, it's like 800 years old. Is that right? Yeah, it's like 800 years old. It's like, well, are you, are you a prophet? It's like, well, at that point, God's just basically telling him, tell them to read the Bible. Listen to the terms of this covenant and tell them to the people of Judah and to those who live in Jerusalem. In other words, tell them to pay attention to it and teach it to them. Tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Cursed is the man who does not obey the terms of this covenant. It's this black and white. Do this. If you don't, you're cursed. There's no middle ground. If you're going to continue these evil practices, you're cursed. That's Jeremiah's message. His first message is, read the book of Deuteronomy. If you disagree with it, you're cursed. And it's not like there's a bunch of TV evangelists saying the same thing. You know, it's not like there's a bunch of ministries and churches on every street corner saying the same thing. He's saying this, and there's Josiah and him and a few handful of others. The terms commanded your fa- the, the terms I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron smelting furnace. I said, and then God says to them, He says, I said to them, obey me and do everything I command you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath I swore to your forefathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, the land you possess today. Jeremiah says, I answered. Amen, Lord. So his first commandment is, or is direct, teach them the word of God and tell them if you don't, it's cursed. But if they will do this, I will fulfill my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and bring them into this land that you're living in right now and it will flow with milk and honey. This will be your best life right now because I will bless you because you're obeying me. Okay, the Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah. So he's supposed to go around and teach in all the towns of Judah. In the streets of Jerusalem, And this is what he's supposed to say. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. In other words, what am I supposed to teach? You're supposed to teach them, listen to the Bible. From the time I brought your forefathers out of Egypt until now, I warned them again and again, saying, obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their own evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but they did not keep it. Then the Lord said to me, there is a conspiracy among the people of Judah. So that's, that's, that's the first message is, is tell them to listen to the law. And, and no one has. This is now now the, his first message, you know, like an insight, one of his first messages, his insight is, Jeremiah, I'm going to tell you about a conspiracy. And again, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is There's a conspiracy among the people. Uh, among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem they have returned to the sins of their forefathers who refused to listen to my words. In other words, after Josiah and Jeremiah did all this work in 622, you can sense in 622 after the reading of it, there would have been this this rise of, okay, we're committed, everyone signs the contract, everyone comes forward, everybody gets baptized, everybody signs the pledge card. Okay, yes, we're going to do it. And then God's word comes to Jeremiah, Jeremiah. A few months later, Jeremiah, uh, no. Uh, They all came forward. They all gave their life to Christ. They all signed the pledge card. They all got baptized. But understand, none of them changed. That was a one and done. Nothing's changed. So he says, Then the Lord came to me. There is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their forefathers, which means there was a time when they stepped out of them but they went right back into them, uh, who refused to listen to me. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken the covenant. In other words, you're in the same place Israel was. And by 622, Israel's been gone for 100 years, because they fell in 722. I made with their forefathers uh, the covenant I made. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. In other words, there's that time of repentance and they all came forward and now they've all gone back and God says, okay, it's not going to work. Now your message is, now your message, and from this point on, Jeremiah's message is, you're going to fall apart. There's no coming back. It's just a matter of how you fall apart. And he even told them, if you'll just surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, you won't have your city burnt. You won't lose the temple. But they rebelled all the way up to the place where there's just dead bodies all across the street but they could have stopped at any time and just said okay we'll listen to jeremiah and we'll just surrender to nebuchadnezzar but they're not going to do that Uh, although they cry out to me i will not listen to them the towns of judah and the people of jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense see they'll go out and cry they'll still be religious but these gods are not going to help them because i'm destroying them but they will not help them at all when disaster strikes You have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah, and the altars you have set up to burn incense to the shameful God Baal are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. This is the work of the priest. This has happened under the watch of the priest. Do not pray for these people. This is is God telling Jeremiah. Do not pray for these people, nor offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their disaster. Then he goes on and God says a few more words about how, you know, he called them to be fruitful and they're not going to be. Verse 17, Yahweh Almighty, who planted you, has decreed disaster for you because the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done evil and provoked me to anger by burning incense to Baal. And that would include in the temple. Okay, verse 18. Are you ready? Here we go. Now Jeremiah gets personal. Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. For at that time, he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying. In other words, his next message is God says, Jeremiah, understand, you're saying the right things just like I told you to, but be careful because not everyone's listening. He says, if you hadn't told me, I would not have known. And what he's going to talk about now is, and you can see on the map right there, I've got it written on there. I already told you about it. But Anathoth, in in his hometown of Anathoth, which is just two miles just up the Mount of Olives there, northwest. I, uh, I did not realize that they had plotted against me. He says, they had plotted against me. He's talking about first the priesthood that he serves with, and next it's going to be his priestly family they had said let us destroy the tree and its fruit let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more in other words they're going to kill jeremiah the tree and the fruit would be his words he's saying the man is saying this is going to happen well let's kill the man and his words will not happen if we eliminate then it's like how powerful was he he can't even stay alive so God reveals, says, they're going, they're going to try to kill you, Jeremiah. But, O Lord Almighty, you who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Now, here we get to the, kind of the point of what I'm talking about tonight. At this point, 6.22, Jeremiah obeys. He basically tells the people, read the Bible. Uh, the people reject it, and because he's saying these things, the priests oppose him. And God says, you understand, the priests have decided to kill you because they don't want these words to come to pass. Now, in, in this, this dynamic right here, the, the Jeremiah is, is just the vessel. I mean, it's like the word of God is going to happen if Jeremiah is obedient or disobedient, if Jeremiah is alive or not alive, Jeremiah is the words of God do not depend on Jeremiah, which is good for us. God's word don't depend on me. God is going to do what He's going to do. It's just a matter: Are you going to be in faith rest and enjoy the ride, or are you going to be wrapped up in fear and all the false philosophies and ideologies? And as God's doing His, you know, His rock solid thing, you're not in, you're like freaking out. Well, Jeremiah. Is right here and he's about to freak out because God says they're going to they're they're going they, their plan is to kill you. But he didn't say oh, they're going to kill you. He says they're they've said these things. They're, oh my gosh, I did not I was like a lamb led to slaughter. I did not see this coming. So Jeremiah says this, beginning he says, verse 20 But O Lord Almighty, you who judge righteously, in other words, he's, he's gonna solve the problem these people are against god they've rebelled against god and they're speaking against jeremiah so and god says well jeremiah they're saying they want to kill you i just want you to know okay i have no trouble with that because you're the righteous judge you judge justly and clearly i'm on your side i've been obedient and they're uh, they're there you told me to tell them they're cursed so they're cursed so when does this happen when do we smoke them so he tells that's what he says right here. He says, you know the heart. You've tested me. You judge righteously and have tested the heart and mind. Let me see your vengeance upon them. All right, well, thanks for letting me know. I'll just step back and watch them disappear like Sodom and Gomorrah. For to you I have committed my cause. Now watch, you see. We want to say in our falling culture, we're people of God. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to be obedient. And these people, are, they're deconstructing reality. They're deconstructing the very nature of God. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to stay right here and do what's right. Because when everything falls apart, and Jeremiah said, okay, let's see it. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the men of Anathoth. And he says, yes. And God would say the same thing. Those that are deconstructing society, deconstructing reality, deconstructing his nature, there's wrath. wrath. Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And God says right here. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the men of Anathoth. And the men of Anathoth are priests. And they're not just priests they're jeremiah's relatives they're his uncles his cousins his father the men of anathoth who are seeking your life and saying do not prophesy in the name of the lord or you will die by our hands now what they've actually come out instead of just the conspiracy they're planning on they've actually come out and told him We have told you to stop. This is the family business. You get on the right side. Otherwise, we will kill you ourselves because you are destroying the entire thing we've got set up. Now, Jeremiah, are you going to be for the Lord or are you going to be for the family business? Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish them. Their young men will die by the sword. Yes. Their sons and daughters by famine. Yes. Not even a remnant will be left to them, because I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth, watch, in the year of their punishment. And Jeremiah says, all these men are going to die. I mean, Jeremiah's going to be the only man living in Anathoth. It's like, well, that's all right. They're trying to kill me. You show them. You and me, God. And God says, right, I will. There won't be any of them left. I will bring judgment in the year of punishment. Year, I mean, like next week, I mean, soon. No, no, this is all on time scale, and this is where this comes in right here. Jeremiah is going to get pretty wound up here in six twenty-two, and God's going to say, Jeremiah, (laughs) no, no, He's going to give him the dates, but this ain't going to happen until five eighty-six BC. You're going to be preaching this entire time. You're 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 up here whining right now. They're going to try to kill me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're saying they're going to kill you, but they haven't even touched you yet. First, it was a conspiracy. Then he hears the direct quote, and they actually have a verbal threat to him. Now, Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. This is where Jeremiah is going to say, Yeah, I've, listen, I've got a complaint. You hear Job doing this, you hear Ezekiel, you hear Isaiah, you hear all. You can even hear the disciples doing this. Watch. You are always righteous, O Lord. Not going to argue with that. You, I'm not, you always do the right thing for the right reason. When I bring a case before you, so when I bring a case and say, here it is, you're going to make the right decision. Yet, (laughs) right there, when I bring a case to you, Lord, and I lay it out, you're going to make the right decision. And I I appreciate that. I I have confidence. I have confidence in your nature, Lord. We have confidence in God. I mean, I trust God. I have confidence in God's nature. He's going to do the right thing. Yet, I, I would like to speak to you about your justice in this particular moment. I mean, You said year of punishment, and I don't see anything happening. In fact, there is a conspiracy. Then I realize the conspiracy is true. They're threatening me, verbal assault, and uh, uh, they're they're locking the doors. I can't get in the house anymore. So uh, we we need to take care of this because I'm not getting any younger. Yet I would speak to you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Not only, not only, have they rebelled against God and against Josiah and against Jeremiah's words and threatened Jeremiah the people have now the motivation is now building it's now it's now trending on twitter more baal worship more ashera worship you know bring your incense to the corner markets it's like it's like holy smokes this is now it used to be something no one would ever really talk about it it was like kind of in the closet now everyone's like opening the closet come on out it's like whoa whoa i thought we were going to end this and it's it's getting and it's happening in our culture it's like it's you can just see it's like what is happening why are you letting this get out of control in other words why does the way of the wicked prosper i thought you said you're going to curse them and they've just doubled their membership down at the local shrine why do the faithless live at ease? I'm the one going home in the night, walking down the streets, afraid someone's going to kill me or kill me while I'm sleeping in my house. My own family's against me. But everyone else, they're all on each other's side. They're, they're never, you don't see them getting canceled. They, they don't have to worry about what they say. They just say whatever they want, all the profanity, all the garbage. They just say whatever they want to say, and they get promoted. And I'm the, one, I'm the one following God, and I, I'm creeping around. You say you've got my back, and I'm your prophet, God would tell in Jeremiah. And it's like, and I've got all these problems. Yet those that you said are cursed are living at ease. They've doubled their membership. They're having a great time, and they're not afraid of anything. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are away for, always on their lips, but far from their hearts. They give this impression, we're going to do the right thing, but it's not really the right thing. We're going to do what God wants, but you don't even know what God wants. Yet you know me, O Lord. You know me. You have tested my heart. Or you, you see me and test my thoughts about you. Meaning, you, you know I, I'm right, because I mean he's being honest with God. You, you know I'm committed to this. So, drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Now, who is he talking about? The Babylonians, the pagans? He's talking about the men of Anathoth who are still prospering even though they've rebelled against Josiah, they've rebelled against Jeremiah, and they're continuing their rebellion against the Lord. He says, drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Now, what year are we talking? 620. We're not talking uh, 17 years later in 605 or 597 or 586 nebuchadnezzar is not even on the the radar yet the assyrians are in major decline there's not even a threat on the horizon so it's like everybody thinks it's going to be fine the economy is still working everybody's still prospering josiah is just saying we got to change we got to change they go oh yeah 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 we should then once they make the little commitment, they come right back, and go right back to where they were. And the Jeremiah's caught right here. He says, I, I've, had, I've had it up to here. They're saying they're going to kill me. And yet they're prospering. How long will the, uh, let me find my place, yeah. How long will the land lie parched and the grass of every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds are, have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. In other words, he's, you know, there are problems in the, as, as the cultures decline. They're, they're having some problems. But he says, now they're saying, I will not see what will happen to them. I'll be dead before my words come to pass. I've told them they're cursed. They're telling me, you're going to die before you see us die. He says, I'm, I'm, and so Jeremiah, kind of, he's correcting God right here. He's taking God aside like Peter took Jesus aside. He said, okay, not so, Lord. This is what we need to do. Now, you can see what's wrong right here, but you can understand it. Jeremiah is not in what we call the, the faith rest. He's like, I need this to happen now. In faith rest, God says, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of you. Relax and keep your mind. But I see these people prospering. Right, because the game's not over yet. You've got to stay true to what God is doing. Now well, Here it is. This is God's answer, and this is what the chapter's, that's what the chapter's about. He says in six. This is important. Six twenty two B C. Jeremiah is just getting started. God says to Jeremiah, "If you have raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you have stumbled in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your brothers, your own family." Even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. I will forsake my house and abandon my inheritance. And now he goes on and talks about, we could go on and all this is a typical Jeremiah that God is going to destroy Jerusalem, but in the end, in the future, he'll bring his people back to fulfill the promise uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But our context that we're looking at right here is right here to Jeremiah, in in 522 he says if you have ran with men and men have worn you out and that's what happened in 622 jeremiah who's another man they're both priests and he's running with them and he says i'm tired they keep saying bad things about me they're threatening me they're lying to me they act like on my face they say oh yeah no 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 nothing's wrong Jeremiah. we really appreciate your commitment to god but behind they're lying to me he says, well, I, I can't take, I don't know who to trust. I don't know who to trust. God says, oh, Jeremiah, 622 B.C., you're struggling with men in your own household, in your own town, and they've worn you out. You're at a, you're, your faith rest is at a breaking point because somebody said something bad about you, or somebody said something bad about you behind your back, but then said something nice to you or to your face. Yeah, I don't even know who to trust. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, well, faith rest. You trust me. I, I, I have this under control. He says, if you're wearing out when you're having trouble with men in 622, what are you going to do when you get to the starting line and you realize everybody else on the starting line is a horse? And I say, run. In other words, God says, I've got a plan for you to race and win at this level and you can't even make it through this level. Meaning, this right here by 586 Jeremiah's problem is not with men. He's got all kinds of distractions going on. the city's burning, he's got political issues, he's got kings coming against him. He's running against the demonic forces and he's winning because he's entered into faith rest. He's not just looking at the circumstance. This is Jeremiah 622. This is Jeremiah 586. Then he says, if you've ran, if you've stumbled, in safe country, you're running on a, a road. Let's just say you're running on a road. You're having a road race, running on a road, and you can't stay on the road. You keep stumbling. 622, Jeremiah, what I've got you on is a pretty smooth road. The economy is still functioning. No one's afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. They have even heard. The Assyrians are fading. The men of Anathoth just are continuing in their wickedness, and I'm just calling you to say don't do it. God is going to curse you. God is going to destroy you. He says, you're on a safe road. I am not going to allow anything to harm you in 622 B.C., 621, 615. You're going, to go, you're going to go years, and all I'm going to ask you to do is say the truth. And you're on a safe road, but you're stumbling. All you got to do is speak the truth and not get off track. If you're stumbling on this, what are you going to do when you're running through the thickets how do you ever spell thickets, of Jordan. In other words, the thickets of Jordan is where you have along the riverbanks, you've got the grass, the weeds, the trees, everything just intertwined, and you're not on the starting line on a pavement looking at a road race. You've got to go, you know, three miles this way. You're looking, you're like caught up in the trees and you're running against horses through the thickets of the Jordan and the horses are running on pavement and you've got to run against horses through the brush. It's like, there's not, There's no way, that's what, it's like, yeah, in God's strength, when you're weak, then you're strong, you're gonna be able to do this. But right now, you're stumbling on a road. In other words, he's rebuking Jeremiah because Jeremiah is asking God to benefit him right now and get me out of the situation. It's like, you know, flip this around, Jeremiah. You're going to do what I want you to do at this time and bring the announcement. And whatever happens, happens. You have nothing to worry about. And even if you do lose your life, you're fine. So Jeremiah, as you can see right here, I'll read this again because this is a great, great line right here. Verse, chapter twelve, verse, uh, verse, is it five? It's all colored over in my Bible here. Yeah, verse five. If you have raced with men on foot, how and they have worn you out. How can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your brothers, your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. In other words, Jeremiah, this is worse than you think, and it's going to continue to get worse. And as we continue through the book of Jeremiah, you're going to see him go and proclaim a message at the. He's going to go to the temple, chapter seven. He's going to go to the temple, and it's called the temple the temple message, where he says, you can't trust this temple. They say, God will never tear this temple down. Jeremiah's going to say, go to Shiloh. He burnt down Shiloh, where the tabernacle was. He'll burn this down. And they end up putting him in stocks. He, can't, he can no longer go. He's no longer allowed to preach on the temple mount. He can't come into the precincts. Uh, and they just keep shutting him down. And eventually, he's going to end up, like I say, in a pit. He's going to end up in prison. He's going to end up in chains. But he's going to get the place where he's going to have that faith rest to be able to maintain the whole Distance. I'm going to go to on the notes here as we wrap this up. Uh, if you look on page 152, there's Jeremiah 11:19 through 20, his first complaint. Jeremiah uh, chapter 12, verse 1, his second complaint. Um, and God is accusing Jeremiah of failure and his, his his failure to endure. And then on the very last page of the notes are pages 154 and 155. Um, I break that down uh, on page 154. Where the, the first paragraph is about him uh, running with the horses, and I wanted to look at. Um, oh, I got an example of Jesus. Where's where's that verse? There it is. No, it's not. I talk about Jesus doing the same thing. It's, it's, it's Jeremiah chapter seven. Jesus is going to use those words. There it is. It's page 151. Um, and when I talk about, just in the middle paragraph right there, it says, the priesthood was a very lucrative business, middle of page 151, to be involved with. Even in Jesus' day, the priesthood consisted of the wealthy elites who persecuted and oppressed those who did not cooperate with their stranglehold of control on society, on the temple, and the profits made on the sacri- in the, by the sacrificial system. And then remember Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers. That's what he was doing. In the temple, while quoting, again, when Jesus goes into the, 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 the temple and the money changers are there, uh, and you know how that system worked, they would only, that you were supposed to have your own lamb, for example, and you'd watch your lamb, make sure it's pure, and you'd bring it as a sacrifice. The priests, according to the law, would inspect it and see if it was good enough and allow you to take your perfect lamb for the sacrifice. Well, the priest realized that if you raised your... It's like buying hot dogs. You know how they have signs, no food or drinks? And then you go in and you can buy food and drink, but it's like, you know, crazy overpriced. That, that's what it was. You're supposed, you, the law, you're supposed to bring your own lamb to the temple mount for the sacrifice. But the priest would have to inspect and make sure it was perfect. Well, every lamb that would come, you couldn't offer just a common, You had to buy and offer a temple lamb so then you'd have to come in and to buy a temple lamb when you got this it'd be easier to bring your money but then when you brought your money you had to change it from whatever currency you had into what the only currency they used so you got overcharged for the lamb and then they only accepted this coin i'm sorry we don't accept that money you'll have to go to the money changers and change the money into the coins that we accept and if you've ever had money change, there's always a charge on the money changer you got know, I me mean, it's their business they, cha- they they're managing the money and so they get a cut so the the people coming to worship god it was a profit making business it's like you going to a ball game they make money on the parking they make money in the souvenir stand they make money in the concession stand and the prices of the tickets are overpriced and you're all crammed into little seats it's like who who's winning here The company's winning the game. And that's what this was supposed to be, the temple for the people to worship God. But it had become a moneymaker, and people were getting ripped off at every step along the way. That's where Jesus comes in and turns over the tables, and he quotes Jeremiah 7, verse 11. He says exactly what Jeremiah says. He says, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. That's what, that was Jeremiah's words. And Jesus says, you've turned this into, it's supposed to be a place of worship for all the nations, and you've turned it into a place of robbery, a place of, of uh, thieves. And he turns the tables over. So what you see taking place in Jeremiah's day with the priesthood was still taking place in Jesus' day. Uh, and what Jeremiah's response to is a good example of the faith rest where he was shaky at first, but he had the knowledge of God and God bring him, bring him around. Again, you've got examples of Jeremiah enduring tremendous opposition. I mean, I, I don't want anyone to say something negative about me. I don't want someone to say they're going to kill me. Uh, but I definitely don't want someone throwing me, putting me in stocks and putting me up on the temple mound to be mocked publicly mocked, or being put in prison because I, I pronounced the word of God, or being dropped into a pit of mud where you just keep sinking. It's like all those things Jeremiah's going to face. And the thing is, once he got going, once he established that faith rest, he kept going all the way the end, even to the place that he ended up in chains, Babylonian chains, on his way to Babylonian Babylon with the exiles. And Nebuzar Aden, the general, came by and was looking for him because Nebuchadnezzar gave Nebuzar Aden directions find Jeremiah and bring him back to Babylon if he'll be willing to come. And then he gave me, he, he said, I'll, he took him out of his chain. You imagine, one of Jeremiah's highlights is all the people he prophesied to for those 40 years uh, have either died or they were killed in the battle or they had fled and were hiding in the wilderness, or they were in chains, sitting with him in chains, waiting to begin the journey, the death march to Babylon. And here comes the general that burnt Jerusalem down the line of the chains and finds Jeremiah, says, release him. And then he gets down and he talks to Jeremiah. And all these people are watching Jeremiah talk with the general, and Jeremiah says, I'll stay here. And he's going to try, and then you know the story. The people that were left behind, they says, we need to leave because Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back and attack us again. And Jeremiah doesn't need the word of God for this. He just says, no, he's not. He's already burnt the city. I mean, there's nobody left here except you and me, and we, we're living in rubble. So Nebuchadnezzar has got bigger things and come beat up on Jerusalem again. So you're going to be fine. They said, well, ask God. They said, go to ask God and pray to God and find out if it'd be okay if we go to Egypt or if he wants us to stay here. And we're sorry. We're really sorry. You can read it, the end of Jeremiah. We're really sorry we didn't listen to you for for 40 years. But we'll listen this time. Listen, we've learned our lesson. So Jeremiah said, I'll be back in three days. So he goes, prays, and God says, listen, Nebuchadnezzar is not coming back here. You're going to be fine. Stay here Populate land, plant your crops, you're fine. Do not go to Egypt. Jeremiah comes back, tells the people, We're supposed to stay here, we'll be fine. God says, Nebuchadnezzar is not coming back here. And we don't even need God to tell us that. We know Nebuchadnezzar is not going to come back to Jerusalem, there's nothing here. But he says, Do not go to Egypt. And they say, You've always lied to us. You're, you're working for Nebuchadnezzar, you want us to all die. Take him, we're going to Egypt. And they took Jeremiah by force, and they all went to Egypt. It's recorded just in time for Nebuchadnezzar. Well, when Neb- Jeremiah's first message there was to go in to one of the big pavements in one of the big public buildings, and they had the pavement stones. And he begins to lift up the stones, dig up the pavement, lift up the pavement stones, and digs a hole and puts a marker right there. And all the people gather on, because whenever, whenever Jeremiah starts doing something weird, be like, whoa, what's he doing? It covers it back up. They go, what did you do? He says, that's the marker. Nebuchadnezzar is going to put his throne right here when he watches the destruction of Egypt. And a few months later, Nebuchadnezzar came in, set his throne right there, and led, just like you see like Sennacherib on those, the murals in his palace, and then was sitting on his throne watching the destruction of Lake. Jeremiah was like, and right there, that's when the, the, the people say to Jeremiah, this was all you and Josiah's fault. When we followed Asherah and we burned cakes to the, the goddess of the heavens and gave them offerings, everything was fine. It wasn't until we found that stupid book of the law that all those curses started coming on us. If you and Josiah hadn't done this, we would still be living at peace with our families. It's like, and, that, and that's, that's the way Jeremiah's life ended. It was like it was his fault that all these things happened. Now, now, you can understand the lesson of this is you're going to have to have faith, rest, and confidence in what God is doing because the world is not all of a sudden going to just like snap in line and say, ah, we understand. Even when they see the prophetic word come to pass, they're going to still reject it, reject the next word of God, and in the end, they're going to blame Jeremiah. They're going to blame somebody else because they, they just they're in darkness. They don't understand. And again right there the name of the chapter is running with horses and god wants us to run with horses and not complain about the little things because the little things are just a sign that you don't have faith rest you're you're not trusting god you're more concerned about the outward signs of things than the knowledge that you have of god's word when you understand the word of god these other things the trouble